Hi, this is Better Than Dead, a literature podcast from a left perspective. I'm Megan. I'm Tristan. I'm Katie. And today we have the second of our two episodes on Lolita, which is Nabokov's 1955 novel. You know what it's about. We already talked about it last week. You know. With respect to the second half, for me, this gets even more up the butt of the language play, the inside jokes, the like ass-headedness, and whatever version of like scorned Humbert that we're supposed to get with, which is even worse than like Humbert in love. Yeah. Somehow. Um, Somehow. Miraculously, yes. Miraculously, there's a worse version. But there are a lot of things to enjoy about it. And I always return to the question of the road novel because he's trying to like play American here. And I have fun with that. I guess like every novel and essay and photo project between 1951 and 1960 is a road novel in some ways. But before we were recording, we were talking about The Price of Salt, which also a road novel but this one is like fun because there's a lot of fun to be had with like a snobby piece of shit emma gray who does not understand the concept of a cold beverage (laughs) (laughs) it comes up like a lot yeah and like isn't there some part where he's like just like terrified of like america is like there's poison ivy here and insects that will bite you like it's Mm -hmm. like all right dude you know (laughs) you're from russia where the cold can kill you in 30 seconds (laughs) and these are his best qualities too by the way oh yeah for sure yeah okay and also if you've read the novel before like if it's a second or third reading there is a certain satisfaction in this part to seeing how lolita is beginning to twist the screws on humbert like as soon as they get on the road on that second trip i think for first-time readers you don't get it this is kind of a dick move in general for novelists to like make something make sense only on the second read and i do say that the exception is always melville um (laughs) under every circumstance in every book but (laughs) that's our guy (laughs) the drama here is like enjoyable on the later readings and i know that this makes me the like i love a beaujolais asshole of this podcast but like we already know that about me and so it's fine (laughs) i mean i I love a beaujolais too so (laughs) enjoy enjoy yourselves (laughs) enjoy your dumb wines you turds (laughs) You have a feel real Marxist right now. <laughs> a mean, woman. I'm a woman of the people. I'm a woman of the people. <laughs> a woman of the hamburger helpers. Yes, I am. Yeah, our lady of perpetual tuna noodle casserole. <laughs> <sighs> and there are moments that are like where he's so delightfully stupid on purpose by Nabokov that it's amazing. So like, there's this moment where he says of Lolita. Um, Again, this is like she's tightening the screws. He says, despite a certain brash alertness of manner and spurts of wit, she was not as intelligent a child as her IQ might suggest, which is like, (laughs) good job, dumb, dumb, because it's about to happen. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, (sighs) Okay, Tristan, why do you want to what do we what did you think of the second half? I mean fucking czarist scum and lenin was right (laughs) (laughs) no no, i I can't no i don't care 
I kid, I kid Vladimir Nabokov, but I will warn you guys, I just watched Battleship Potemkin for the first time, which I mean, please do revoke my pinko card for that. Um, great film. Wait, um, watching it? It's so good. No, 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 no. no I, that's what, what I mean is that it took me nearly 40 years to watch it. That's why oh, you should okay. revoke my pinko I'm card. Sorry, Not to, it. No, it's a, it's an excellent film. Everyone should watch it. It is, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it really is remarkable. Kind of, kind of blew me away. But I will just warn you guys that it, it has made me feel extra bullshit this episode. So. Yeah, look, I still don't know what I think of this novel. Uh, I really don't. Like, it's it's one that's kind of stayed with me. And I'm like, I, do I like it? Do I not like it? Is that even the, the right question to be asking? I finished it a week ago, and it has kept me thinking about a lot of stuff that it does and its formal features, which at the very least says, look, there's interesting complexity here for sure. Megan, you had said last time, uh, and you kind of alluded to this just a minute ago, that during some of your rereadings, you had seen Dolores or Lolita kind of emerge as a character in her own right and not just as like Humbert's twisted object fantasy. And I really did see that in the second half Um, in ways you said that like, yeah, she starts to turn the screws on it, but also in some like really kind of tragic ways. Uh, Like there's an extent that that like the trauma really is brought out. Uh, you know, as the text brings her out as a character. And I'm not talking about those moments where Humber tells us he's like, finally registering what a monster he is, because honestly, fuck that guy. And I do feel like, I mean, if we're like, oh, how is Humbert feeling about that? Is he redeemed or not? We're still kind of like solipsizing Lolita in a way that, you know, kind of via Humbert, which is gross. And I also think the novel is really pushing us away from that here. So that's where the novel's pathos comes from. On the flip side, the whole quilty is doppelganger thing. I don't know, man. Uh, Nabokov hated psychoanalysis the same way L. Rod Hubbard did, uh, which means he, he just Rod wanted Hubbard to. Was never wrong. He, yeah. Yeah. How, how did I <laughs> tw- bring in Scientology here? No, I mean, like, he just wants to do his own version of psychoanalysis, although I guess with butterflies rather than e meters and personality auditing. And okay, the constant puzzles and coincidences and deep references to literature in multiple languages. I know Nabokov thinks he's Larry Stern. You you are not, sir, nor nor are you James Joyce, both of whom managed to do that shit and presence of the author stuff without making me fantasize about being Robespierre. So <laughs> <laughs> he loved both of those people for i know no, i'm not like a, defending him i'm just saying like obviously i know there's a fucking uh direct reference to a very famous scene in a sentimental journey uh which is stern's follow-up to tristram shandy in that horrible poem uh <laughs> is in the middle of this so. it's so ridiculous that he requires so much secondary read you know it's like oh cool like i read a novel and also i have homework and, you know, and like that is kind of why I differentiate how he does that from what Stern is, because Stern is super cross-referential all the fucking time. But I and like maybe this is just a feature of like, look, in the middle of the 18th century, you're still like the number of people who were literate and could read a novel is still fairly small. So this doesn't kind of come up in the same way. But there's just I don't think like Stern's there demonstrating like, look how much I've read. It's more like I wrote 10 pages of Latin so I could make a vagina joke, you know, like whereas like Nabokov, I can't get away from like he really was like look how fucking erudite i am and that's just anyway but maybe that's not charitable i don't know also like fran uh francy pants is yeah. like a big yes. yeah. is like annoying yeah for sure. you're just like i love flaubert but and then i feel like snobbish satisfaction when i'm like no a different sentimental novel or with the word sentimental in the title Yes, and again, the fucking czarist nobility spoke French as their first language. <laughs> but whatever. I mean, again, I look, hey, I I this novel gave me a lot of thoughts and that's cool. 
And also, like, this is so stupid, but it's always in the top five of one of those, like, awful <laughs> lists of the best novels in English. And so, you know, we're kicking those right off the list. It's going great. Sound of Fury <laughs> hasn't happened yet, but, you know, it's going to be cool. I look forward to being appalled more and more each day. <laughs> Katie, what do you want to talk about? I wanted to finish this because of the aforementioned poem, the fucking poem about being a pedophile, <laughs> yeah. uh, which Humbert treats us to in this half of the book. And in case you- I thought you liked li- Poe. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't we read two Poe stories on the show? Mm-hmm. We yeah. ha- Yes, we have. Uh, Poe is a different matter. And I would also say that um, I don't like his poems about being a pedophile either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't like any. Because <laughs> um, that's because they are what they are. But I'm looking forward to our discussion today, certainly. But for the moment, I would like to reveal a small embarrassing detail about myself that I used to just love law and order with a fervent passion. And the original one? I'm just getting a picture. I'm just of trying them. to get a picture. Okay. All of them. <laughs> Every single one. The regular, the SVU, the criminal intent. Um, I'm sure I'm missing one of the law and orders, the laws and order, but um, I can't remember now. Is criminal attempt the one with uh, fucking Vincent D'Onofrio being all weird and? Yes, and then Jeff Goldblum. No shit. <laughs> oh, shit. No. <laughs> I would watch that. Also, I mean, look, I already admitted that I was a Dragnet fan as a, as a small <laughs> child, so. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, okay, so that? we can bring the LOU into our. Uh, into our podcast conversations yeah 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 (laughs) fair enough fair enough but yes in conclusion all i have to say after these viewings is detective elliot stabler did nothing wrong no that's not true and you also you can't get mad at me for saying that because i was 12 and i'm i haven't watched it in a very long time and you can take my bernie sanders card if you can get out of my cold dead mittens (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's past so. the statute of limitations also we all like bad stuff yeah we all like bad stuff no but the the thing is that i'm getting somewhere people um, that in my internet quest to try to find out the truth about jeffrey epstein uh <laughs> i've run across a type of person who has super elaborate fantasies about what they'd like to do to pedophiles so much so that you are forced to the conclusion that they may be one and are like misdirecting you. But at this point, I have to apologize to those people because those fine individuals, because while I was reading this half of the book, I got to a place that was like, get him in a bear trap. I don't care. Just get him. Just get him. Just, just get him. And this yeah. is a fake person. <laughs> yeah. 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 But it's interesting, speaking of bear traps, because in this half of it, you see like Humbert try to unsuccessfully chew his leg out of the imaginary bear trap I've created by imagining other realities where he's not a pedophile. And that's the way the book sort of spools itself up. It's this self-conscious performance of B. 
being a dick and also wanting pity that feels controlled until the end where it sort of does and doesn't feel controlled. And I'm thinking here about the ways that the characters get like assembled and disassembled throughout the book. And we'll talk more about all of that. But all I have to say is I'm going to read all the dunes after this is a palate cleanser. All the ones I skipped. All the ones no one's read. Uh, all of them. I'm going to get the encyclopedia, the manuals, whatever. All I want is worms that live in the sand and do drugs. And That's poop it. drugs, yeah. They poop drugs? The, the the drugs that let you travel through space are sandworm poop, yeah. Um, kind of – or <laughs> poop or cum, hard to know. <laughs> <laughs> we will we we will read one of those with you, Katie, for the show. <laughs> I think that's all the the people listening to this can handle. <laughs> Oy. But today we're talking about the road, the road novel, the travel log, Lolita's characterization. So, like, how characters other than the first person become iterated. We're talking about the sort of two confrontations at the end, and then we're talking about the figure of the double. So. Summary-wise, the second half begins with the road trip that none of us needed, detailing all of the like, oh, America, this country, that's not a Russian accent, I don't care, um, <laughs> that Nabokov and Humbert find both grotesque and fascinating at every turn. He assures us, of course, that he is, quote, trying to show Lolita a good time, uh, so he takes her to like tourist traps. Despite, you know, like, uh, raping her all the time, which yeah. is not going to go away. It seems, though, that their money is starting to run out at a certain point. So they move to this quaint New England town where H.H. has an old friend called Gaston Gastonington or whatever. <laughs> yes, <Yeah. laughs> French, French fries. French fries. French Oh, yeah. Uh. <laughs> And he enrolls Lolita at Beardsley, which is this all-girls day school. And there's this absolutely hilarious scene where the, with the headmistress where she's like, we're not into Shakespeare, but the four Ds, which are dramatics, dance, debating, and dating, which is a great thing to be taught. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very, yes. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> yeah. And it's also like around this time that he starts to discover a he says a definite drop in Lolita's morals because she all of a sudden has friends and some of them seem cool. And if you read it, go look for Mona. I like her a lot. She's hilarious. But the school, <laughs> because the school is insane, they pull him in and they're like, let her go on dates. She doesn't seem super interested in boys. And that seems weird. And he's like, no, nah, fuck that. I own her. So no. And then she wants to do a play at school called The Hunted Enchanters, which big red blaring hint lights. And she's in the play, but he makes her do gross sex stuff in exchange that I don't think is actually detailed, but it's gross. We know it's gross because every time you feel your stomach turn in this novel, you know, just affectively. Yeah. And I feel too like that. So, I mean, one, I, there are a lot of interesting ways in which I like Humbert starts to lose control of the narrative. And I think, Katie, you're right, that it really does at the end that that's kind of collapsed. But I think one of those is that, like, the the horror of what's happening, like, because the first half, it's all this, like, extremely gross, but, like, sort of, he, like, eroticizes what's happening or whatever. But, like, no, the fact that he, like, no, this is, like, repeated 
rape and violence like that does come through his own narrative in a way that it's like okay like right you know so that that, that i think that there is an interesting uh and i think noted break between like the you know scare quotes actuality behind this and his attempt to like narrate what's happening that is i think quite different than what we see in the first half there's another part that's exactly that stuff that i was like okay this is like this is when i start to see it which is when he does take her to the school and he's like, it'll be great because I can watch her and other young young girls through binoculars all day. But then he's like, these, these fuckers built a fence around the playground, so now I can't see it anymore. And it's like, they built the fence around the playground so people like you couldn't yeah. look at the children. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think those things are like co-determinant, right? That like when he starts to lose control is also like it's also the moment where like she starts to get away because it happens before she actually does mm. like that she she's clearly been making a plan for a long time by the time she gets away and so it's partly her sort of like escape that precipitates this i think yeah for sure yeah and she makes a reference when we learn what the play is called she says she references the name of that hotel you know and she says you know the hotel where you raped me so she brings us back to the point of view that we are supposed to be inhabiting as sort of like the moral reader, even though we can't live there, right? So like, this is what I mean when I say her character starts to emerge a little bit, which is like where you get the perspective of the book, even though the first person is so dominating. And and maybe because I, I think she, like she did, she said something similar to that right after the Enchanted Hunters uh, bit, yes. which is which is in the first half. But like, yeah, it, it's like I, and I maybe that's the first moment where we really see that. And then in the second half, it just kind of expl- like that. It happens more and more where we where that those fracture points start um, kind of like weaving their way through the, the surface. And I think it's important, too, that like she says this and we know that she has sort of like people around her because when she says it the first time at the end of part one this is in the two paragraphs before he says she had nowhere else to go yeah so like his command over her at the end feels of part one feels total but now it's like oh she might tell anybody yeah exactly yeah okay so she's getting some distance between them so what he decides to do is to take her on another road trip but it is on this road trip that we first encounter in our sort of it's not actually the first encounter but knowing encounter with the shadow claire quilty mon semblable mon frere <laughs> which is baudelaire and also c cf me losing my entire fucking mind <laughs> right now and resorting to baudelaire who is who is this person also he makes a lot of rambo references in this and so i was like he ha ah, french poetry i'm gonna die <laughs> i'm a good person so quilty is tailing them in this like flashy red car and this is around the same time that lolita starts sneaking off for like oh i was like nothing oh nothing dad and he says to 11 that i felt instinctively that toilets and also telephones happened to be for reasons unfathomable the point where my destiny was liable to catch um funny that yeah kind of sound like a big giant idiot yeah. Well, right. And like, I, I know, like, I, it's it's weird reading this, you know, I, I, like, um, 
it's such a famous cultural object. Like I, I knew, you know, I, I'd had the basic story in mind, even though I had never read it before. So like, I know, and you know, I also read the introduction and everything, which we will talk about the, uh, the editor's introduction, Alfred Apple's introduction, not, uh, you know, which is weird. Well, yeah, Megan will have stuff to say about that, but like, so, you know, I knew about the quilty hints, but the thing is like, I think even if you don't quite know where that's winding up and like, yeah, it's this like weird sort of like somewhat annoyed detective story Nevikov's creating the fact that Humbert is a complete dipshit about what's happening i think is supposed to be readily obvious like he's like is this like a policeman or a private detective and it's like you know tracking you all the way against the country probably not you know probably something else is going on and he's yeah anyway if you had been arrested nine times right yeah exactly exactly yeah for sure so they're driving across the country and in colorado they stop for a slightly longer visit at this resort where Lolita learns to play tennis. There's this whole like incredibly stupid Russian like tangent about how tennis is awesome or for white people or whatever, which is not true, but not <laughs> Um And then she starts again to take these little like side expeditions that worry him. And this is where he says that her eyes were more calculating than frightened, which I would say like, oh, that's a turning point. Except that when you're reading this chapter, everything is could be a t- fucking turning point. Like she mm-hmm. always feels like she's getting further away or more calculating or whatever, which is like you read that in his voice and you're like, fuck you. Like yeah. seriously, fuck you forever. Yeah. It is tempered by the fact that him being so. So, for instance, there's this one part where he thinks she's gone, but she's really just petting a dog. And he gets so pissed that she's petting the dog and not him that he like doesn't figure anything out that he should about right. any like so he's so evil but yet also so stupid that <laughs> yeah yeah and i think that too then like so on the one hand like all of those kind of literary cross references that he's doing or yeah like they're obnoxious and bad because oh like my enlightened bourgeois readers will know what i'm talking about you morons won't but i think the other thing is that it's like he has all this like you know he's really into his own like erudition but he's a fucking fool you know what i so like i do think that that is a big source of the comedy that's happening as well i also think like i just keep coming back to this moment where he's like well, she sure wasn't as smart as we thought she was. Yeah, right. And yeah, and then he, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, completely. He has no fucking clue what's happening as as he as he says that. Yeah. So, um, in Elphinstone, which is their next stop on the road, she gets really sick and she's hospitalized, and he's like fainting and drinking himself to death because he's so upset about this. But like, while she's in the hospital, <laughs> she asks him to bring her her suitcase and her mother's trunk because she like needs some clothes like she needs some stuff but she doesn't know what she needs <laughs> and he does bring her those things yeah and like then a smart guy who's read a lot of a books. Real smart dude <laughs> yeah he's read a he lot knows of french books. and brought he her has read a lot of french books yeah and how do you say suitcase in french <laughs> <laughs> and then of course what happens is that like the nurse says oh Uncle Gustav came and paid her full bill in cash. <laughs> Thanks, Uncle Gustav. Thanks, Uncle Gustav. Yeah. That's my dog's name, P.S. And that they'll meet him at Grandpa's ranch as agreed. You <laughs> <laughs> sure will. Yeah. If your Uncle Gustav comes to pick you up anywhere, don't go with him. Yeah. No, but let him pay your bill in cash and then skedaddle. Uh- yeah, for sure. And so she's finally sprung or kidnapped or both. I think both personally. 
So H.H. roams the country looking for them. He's always a step behind and Quilty leaves him all these crumbs that are like, oh, look at this literary reference in the fucking, you know, hotel notebook or whatever. He briefly returns to Beardsley, where they had been before, before falling in with this woman called Rita, who he meets on the road between Quebec and New York. And then sort of like drinking and road trips two years later... His former neighbor, Farlow, and then Lolita herself track him down. And she writes him a letter saying, I have gone through much hardship. And she says that she's pregnant and married and that she needs some money because she and her husband are moving to Alaska for his new job. Yeah, like I, I, I don't really have much to say about Rita other than like I do find that character a very sort of depressing and weird and sorry because like she you know i mean he talks about her with this i i don't want to call it affection because it's so like condescending but like oh like what a good sport she was but yeah like she seems a real i mean yeah i mean like alcoholic and just kind of i don't know i, I like it's 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 one of those things is like wait i i feel like this the the presence of this character is supposed to tell us something but like there's so little or i don't know like he talks around her so much or something like that that it's very it's just it's kind of it, yeah i still don't quite get why that character is there other than i do find her very sort of unsettling in some way yeah no i totally agree but like there's for me it's a little bit of a mirror of valeria like from earlier yeah. and yes yeah yeah yeah. that like valeria is there because like she's kind of girl-ish but he can like deal with that before he meets lolita and then after lolita like there's no getting with a woman like an adult yeah. woman and he says like even though i i was with hadn't kidnapped lolita anymore like i'm still a pedophile and he and he says this explicitly but also he says that like after two years of indulging it i could never go back Sure. No, definitely. And I also think too, like much like Valeria, that like sort of, you know, flagging the kind of the 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 abuser, sort of seeking like the vulnerable person and, and vulnerable in many different ways. I mean, like, yeah, I think you're right about how you characterize Valeria for sure. But like, yeah, read it like she doesn't seem, you know, she she just, yeah, I mean, she's like an alcoholic and stuff that there's that. And, and so like that he fixates on her as this like, OK, like I can like I can bring this person in as sort of essentially an accomplice to like one, keep me company, but also help in some way is. Yeah, no, that I mean, that makes sense. Because I think Charlotte is not like that. She's actually the third character for me. Yeah. Of this book. Yeah. Okay, so he gets this letter from Dolly Schiller, as she calls her uh, her married name. So he manages to track her down. And on the way, he rehearses this fantasy of killing her husband. But once he gets to her house, he's not actually particularly mad at the husband like it sort of deflates when he sees him when he meets him and instead he insists that dolly lolita divulge to him the name of you know the monster who ended his fantasy of raping a child and it's it's claire quilty oh remember him no you don't because he's the playwright that she met in beardsley and because we're doing dodo sherlock holmes hours that's who the guy in the red car was <laughs> yeah <laughs> but okay it turns out that she ran away from him too for similar reasons which is that he wanted her to participate 
in orgies against her will. She has indeed suffered through much hardship, as she says. I have to ask, and not for the first time, is anybody not a fucking pedophile? Uh, not in this book. Yeah, but yeah, that is the kind of universe that this novel creates for sure. Middle-aged men are, turns out, are fucking disgusting. Yeah. This book thinks. Yeah. <sighs> okay, so he's leaving because he's like, I have the name of mine enemy. And uh, as he's leaving, he gives her $4,000. It's because he's sold Charlotte's home because somebody else wanted to buy it. And so he had to go back and figure it out. And he says that she is worn at 17. <sighs> and fucking 17. She's 17. She's 17 years old. Like, yeah. And what he what he says is that he's starting to see like a little bit of Charlotte in her, which just means that she's like almost an adult. Yeah. And, the, and still not and pregnant. And like this, that scene is I, I think we'll talk about it a little bit more detail later. But it is just so fucking gutting to me. On the one hand, it's great because like this is really the first where you see dolores just out and out like no like i mean no i'm gonna like i'm gonna get what i need from you and then fuck off but there's also like there's just i mean one like yeah because we know from the introduction to the novel that she's about to die like the pregnancy is going to kill her you know that and and just the way that she still sort of has to indulge his bullshit to kind of like get out of the situation it's just it, it's like both yeah like you know rock on tell him to get fucked and also just so fucking gutting it's like that yeah that i had to stop reading for a while after reading that chapter, oh yeah actually. i know i completely find it just deeply upsetting every time and like he asked her to like run away with him and it's it's that you're just like this is a fucking absurd like this is this is the thing you invented like it's not she's not in this what are you yeah. fucking talking about yeah well, and she, I mean, she tells him to fuck off, but she also still does it in those, in like very like kind of gentle terms, which is just like, again, so fucking yeah, tragic. And yeah. And, and yeah, there's one point where she says that like, or he, like he, this, it's interesting that this is not directly quoted. And this is again, this isn't, this isn't Humbert's voice. I had been a good father. She guessed. It's just like, oh God, you know, like. Yeah, right. Compared to what? Compared to literally nobody. Compared to literally nobody. Again, it is interesting that that is like his own voice saying that, but it's still, it's just, there's, yeah, there's just so much like really fucking upsetting stuff in this chapter. Yeah. I mean, and it's like, there's this moment where he's like, psycho, psychologists like think that there's a father like there's a parent child thing and isn't that bullshit and it's like this is completely except that you have invented that there's this like electro complex problem and there's like no not at all that's not yeah. what's happening here yes exactly <sighs> okay so he sets off to find quilty of course who's still in beardsley and he lives in this giant house called paver manor which it's <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. all it all gets to be the puns the puns it all gets to be a little much and the two of them have this like farce slapstick um wrestle match slap slap fight slap fight but with guns yeah and well quilty's running around with a silk robe and nothing else on so his fucking wangs as he's running upstairs getting shot in the back and stuff yeah it's goofy as hell on purpose yeah so he does kill him. He has to shoot him like 47 times because he's a terrible shot. It's of the first one he hits the floor. Yeah. Of course, right? And then, so this this is like the last four pages. It's crazy. This is like very compressed. 
And then at the end, after being arrested, he goes through this like final apostrophe. He says that he only wants the book to be published after she dies. And he's like, but that's in 80 years, which we know it's not. And it's terribly sad. And he says this apostrophe to Lolita. Don't talk to strangers. I hope you will love your baby. I hope it will be a boy. And the last sentence is, I am thinking of Oryx and Angels, the secret of durable pigments, prophetic sonnets, the refuge of art. Another like, oh, were you looking for pa- patterns here? Perhaps that the artist and the madman is the same thing. <laughs> <sighs> and he says, then that is the only immortality you and I may share, my Lolita. Hey, guys, did you notice that the first word in the novel is Lolita and the last word last is word. Lolita? Oh, it's the grad pattern. Oh, come on. A first year in college would be super jazzed about having picked that up. <laughs> you might be a Russian novelist. If, you, if the first and the last part of your novel are the same thing, you might be a Russian novelist. If your family had to flee from the Bolsheviks, you might be a Russian novelist. <laughs> if, you, if you do all your puns in French, you might be a Russian novelist. <laughs> Our our Gen Z listeners are like, what the fuck is going on? There was a comedian named Jeff Foxworthy. You can look him up on YouTube. 30 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I have to get in a really, 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 really good Novikov joke, which is that in Ada, there's a moment where some professor is, somebody says like, oh, there's a condor flying. And he goes, oh, that's the best pun. Because in... French, con is cunt and der is golden, so it's the, mm. the gold pussy. Ha <laughs> ha! <laughs> Aren't you like hysterically laughing right now? You're laughing so hard. It's so good. Do uh. the golden butthole next. What's that? <laughs> In French. <laughs> what bird's that? Anyway, so there's this like postscript by Nabokov, and he's like, I worked on this for years, and it's really well written, and books don't mean anything. Bye. Yeah. Right. He wrote that afterward as a way of being like, oh, you actually kind of liked this novel. (laughs) Let me take that away from you because I'm a fucking trash heap. Like, you know, yeah, he's just and it's just this stuff like the only reason why I write novels is because I get an itch that has to be scratched. It's like, fuck, I don't care. I don't care, man. You know, your itches are none of my business. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> here's what I'm going to do in, like, instead of context. So like, go back if you want me to say, like, people reviewed this and they were like, either this is excellent or like this is for perverts. But I just want to talk about Appel's annotations. Because this is the book that's, al- this is almost always assigned, is the annotated one. Because like, there are references that you want, yeah. even though they're mostly like for fools. Unless you speak French. Yeah. Okay, so like, this is going to do context work because it shows us that every critic of Nabokov is seemingly doing like fanboy culture. And like it re- it was like really bad when this came out in the 50s. And if you read these notes, you'll also see a lot of references to Appel having gone to Nabokov, like going to the fucking great sage himself and being like, what does this mean? Like, Daddy, you speak so many languages. Like, tell me what it means. Uh. Can you do my homework? Yeah. Uh-huh. He wanted a living, breathing spark notes. Yeah. 
Yes. So the one that like I interviewed the great man, it really is like there's this one uh, there's this one note where he's like, oh, and I had noted that the color red came up a bit. So I went and asked the great man, sir, does does this does this have significance? And Nabokov's like, no, you fool. How dare you think that? And oh, I'm so and it's just like, okay, daddy, spank my butt when I'm wrong. (laughs) Yes. No, it is. Yeah, it is totally in that kind of like literary, like fucking Dom subject, which I just like most literary critics right i don't give a fuck what the author thought their work means that's not entirely true it's a data point right it's like okay so like this author said this it is by far not dispositive and like throughout this it's like hmm, some people have interpreted this way but actually nabokov says to interpret it this other way it's like dude what are you doing i mean and how can we like nabokov's like this doesn't mean anything so why do you listen to him yes (laughs) like then what are you doing because he's just doing, please, sir, may I have some meaning? Like, yeah. No, exactly. But please, Megan, tell, tell us more. Because I think that the obnoxious shit you underlined is slightly different than the obnoxious shit I underlined. So, like, there's a lot of material here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't have this version, by the way. I had a different, I have a different You're edition. missing out. So, like, <laughs> yeah. just, uh, just, like, listen to Tristan's and my selections. Yeah, they're, re- regale me, please. This is, like... <laughs> A total of like one percent of those the references and also they're like stupid but if you basically get like i don't know poe freud there are some like huge glaring ones and then the rest are just for chumps mm-hmm. <laughs> but there's okay so here's the selection and because they're like so, it's just like fawning sycophancy like it's so funny and th- so there's this on page 19 humbert says that virgil would have liked a boy's perineum which which bears a note and Appel helpfully defines this as including the urethogenital passages and the rectum. Thank you for defining taint, sir. Thank you. <laughs> if you needed a little bit of grundle education. Yeah. yeah. Yes. But taint necessary if you know what it is. Like it's contained <laughs> in the word. Yes. It's also easy to look like do people not either you know that word or like you have a dictionary. It's fine. Yeah. Uh-huh. He he also he also helpfully defines areola, and <laughs> and and a bl- a joke that's a blatant reference to piss play. I mean, it is like clear. It's like it's a barely disguised pun on it. Apple is like S- some people have a kink, which is not a word. He's way too square to even like use that word. That some people have where sexual excitement is derived from urination. It's like thank <laughs> thank you for writing this note. Like. <laughs> I'm just so pleased to have had everything detailed for me in this way and that the rectum might be something in the notes bearing (laughs) further discussion. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Here's others. Cause this is like, I have to be careful with the language here, but like Mona, there's this moment where she's like, she uses the word rigor. It's an oblique reference to quilty for some reason. And this is referenced in the, notes with like oh it's a guy in this like racist limerick and you know he prints the whole word out and that's not offensive but the sexual content is because he says something like this is unprintable and i'm like did you read the whole book uh yeah it's real weird it's it's like i think this was from the late 60s right and then revised in the early 90s but even so i mean it's still fucking weird I mean, it's pretty weird to be like, here's some omissions when this book, he says like, oh, this book references Fanny Hill. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, totally, totally. Yeah, it's just, it's it's very arbitrary and strange where he draws the light of what he will and won't, like, explain, and then, like, over-explain shit that is just blatant on the fucking surface. <sighs> so that's one. And then my personal favorite, for, like, reasons that you'll understand, Humbert. So this is the um, Quilty. They're, they're still in Beardsley. And he says... We were in sagebrush country by that time. Oh, I guess they're still on the road. Sorry. We were in sagebrush country by that time, and there was a day or two of lovely release. I had been a fool. All was well. That discomfort was merely a trapped flatus. Flat, flat, flautus. And the notes helpfully read, gas generated in the bowels <laughs> or stomach. Thank you. I have had farts explained to me today. <laughs> uh yeah no right it, it's it's bizarre and uh, sorry i just two other quick things and then we can stop talking on the the late alfred appell but um yeah it does it's just yeah it's like who the hell is this scholar that's drawn to this guy and, and i'm almost feeling like my the the degree to which i am nabokov averse might have more to do with the people that study him than anything else it's fine so he, the like this is actually from the introduction the 50 or 60 page long introduction where like he's like i was the goodest boy in nabokov's 1953 <laughs> intro to the novel course and there's yeah. just there's these two amazing things which he's like one he's talking about uh, you know nabokov has this photographic memory and he's having dinner with nabokov in the mid 60s and he says skeptically enough i asked Nabokov, if he remembered my wife, Nina, who had taken his literature 312 course in 1955, and I mentioned that she had received a grade of 96. Like, who the, these people are grown ass, like adults <laughs> in middle age, and he remembers remember this. their score of the numerical score of their college classes. Yes. And, and yeah, I, it's, it's remarkable. And then later, he in the same introduction, he's talking about he's he describes this, which seems like an absolutely obnoxious, uh, like, like where Nabokov's doing like theatrics as he's discussing uh, literature. And and he says, even the C minuses in the back of the room, you know, imply I was a good boy sitting in the front in the first row. Could <laughs> I was not- in the front row. <laughs> could not help being moved it's like yeah i bet they couldn't it's it's weird as i said it is the weirdest scholarly edition i have ever read by far because he's got a P- dot mayor pete the discussion of fucking farts yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is how mayor pete would do it and then if yeah if he actually has to speak norwegian there's going to be something embarrassing happening yeah. yeah i mean he's already an embarrassing human to exist so like that's fine yeah, um, he definitely knows what he got in literature three one two. So I love a I do I love a road novel. I love eight percent of road novels. <laughs> I like the lesbian ones. I like the Price of Salt. I like Valencia. I like probably others. Well, I I do too. Although I guess like the more I've read of them, the do more eighteenth century ones count. Yeah, well, they, yeah, they, there, I, there weren't roads when I liked the novels from. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Uh, like the, the Doc Brown in reverse, right? Like where we're going, we won't need roads, right? But, uh, <laughs> but, but back to the future, too. It's another reference you can look up, kids. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, the, the road, like I do think like the 18th century picaresque has some relationship to the road novel. I guess like what I find sort of perplexing about it as a designation is that like, it's just like what function the road itself has, right? Because like, 
well, why, okay, like what's one of the things about travel, like the dumbest thing of travel, you get to see new things and new places. And like in this novel, like they're basically balancing from motel to motel, which like in late 1940s America, like, you know, that that, that kind of cookie cutter sort of like uh, in some ways corporate, although it's not like I, it, it, we're not at like the, the kind of big hotel chain yet. I mean, uh, Howard Johnson maybe, but like, but but that like, you know, the, the realities of the kind of emerging sort of highway system had sort of produced a kind of uniform architecture so like what they're the places they're balancing through are largely the same across the country and there's some oblique references to like the seat low like oh now we're in the rockies but it feels so background that it's like why does this need to be traveling and i think you know i mean one well okay so like humbert is fleeing from like i mean he this is not a life that can exist in society because it's i mean you know in this case like for very good reasons that it's fucking you know monstrous but like it is weird though that like so much of like the just the surround of like the travel narrative is just not that important or something like that I don't know. Like, okay, so that changes my thinking, which is like less about the road proper and more about like what its function is, sort of like plot wise, which I do think, this is like half baked, but has something to do with this like, where can he control her the most? Right, right. So it it's like the road is like this state of suspension or like like liminality or like an othered space that does it like abuts society, but it doesn't. But that's the thing. And like maybe that like why we don't actually get into the locales of where they're traveling through is that would actually bring us back into the social in a way that humbert can't sort of deal with you know like and, and that would real i mean be you know directly threatening to his fucking you know criminal predilections but well maybe that's why i do or don't like a road novel right because it's like what is the suspension that you're in what are you running from or what are you running toward or like why do you have to live in the liminous and it's like well if you're there to do acid then like i don't care right or if you're like i mean i'm <laughs> i'm not equating doing acid raping a kid I want to be very transparent about that right. but like in the specific genre of the road novel when i feel some sympathy to what they have to be there for right like in the price of salt it feels very different because your response to like what about this is like socially unacceptable is so sympathetic mm-hmm well, and the thing about this is they're not getting kicked out of places like a lot of other road novels. It's like, you can't kick me out. I'm leaving because I mean, that's all of on the road. Right. It's just like, yeah, that's we went the to subtitle. Texas to 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 visit get kicked out of there too. bully and like later he'd shoot his wife in the head. But for when we were there, he didn't shoot anybody in the head. Yeah. <laughs> came in the wrong season you know something else too that i was definitely thinking about in regards to the road novel uh like i think it, it's a fair you know it's i think a lot of critics have noted this that like just like the way the road narrative is very gendered among other things that like the the so like the sort of the man on the road yeah i mean th- i think he very much like kerouac and shit like that it's like ultimate freedom like no one can hold you back man you know whereas like for like uh like women on the road get treated very differently in kind of literature and film like that it's it's that that um sort of like the the uh that distance from the social or that liminality suddenly becomes or it's like it's it's threat or it registers very differently and often registers in a very kind of threatening way and um i think that's why i find it exciting for me like as a reader i find it like confronting confrontational in some kind of way right right for sure for sure 
And I think, I mean, I, th- I guess you have that there too, but you have that even amplified by the the pedophilia, the fact that she's a child and that like her sort of like, you know, uh, w- would set style himself as her protector, although he's obviously the complete opposite of that is like, yeah, it's he is the opposite of that is 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 her rapist and abuser, you know, so like so that that kind of like gendered sort of uh, idea of what the road means, I think, is at play here. And but even even more um like ominous and fucked up too you know yeah and it's function in this case i want to say the reason but like the ominous fucked upness about it is that there's often in the road novel that element of like you're not just you're, you're on the run also like you're but this is a pure on the run and any part of that adventure or fun or whatever is a pure creation it's like just it's it's part of an elaborate trap to keep lolita so there's a way in which like there's the tourist parts are in fact like as fake and like pastiche bullshit as they are mm-hmm. you know like these little you know like fuck he, he's like raping her and taking her to the world's largest ball of twine like right. yeah yeah, like that, the, 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 the road is like, um, as escapism or something like that. And it's, but it like always collapsing over and over again into violence and abuse that, that, that's embedded in it. It's like, let's go see this dumbass tourist trap. And, and by the way, like, yeah, this is a fucking psychopath that's been raping a child through the, the, uh, you know, across the country, you know, multiple times. There's no fun being had here. Like that's the it's the it's the anti-road novel in a way even though because you expect some i don't know like road tripping is a good time and this is not that well you expect it to be like cathartic or so i hadn't thought about this before so so take a journey with me but like there's a degree to which his sort of like self reflection which is sort of a very road novel thing, right? Like you're out on the road so you can think about like who you really are. It'll like tell you who you are. It'll tell you who you're not or whatever. And like part of the point of this novel is that his self-reflexiveness is just like a loop. That he's never actually going to like learn any more about himself besides that he's like a piece of shit. No, no. And so the road doesn't like give it's it's ever you're right Katie it's like everything that's a road novel isn't which is like it's not telling you who you are it's not like it's not giving a certain kind of pushback to like the powerful it's not doing the dopey Kerouac like let's act like teenage boys and drink ourselves stupid it's just not providing any revelations it is just like getting sledgehammered in the face with wherever you go there you are yeah yeah, right. And, and then and and like in terms that he's never going to learn anything that the, the Americana aspect of it is like, ooh, like the fucking European aristocrat sees the country. It's like, I mean, basically, OK, so you learn that in America they have motels and poison ivy that you've got to watch out for. You're still the same. Cold fu- baths. Yeah, yeah, cold beverage. Yes, they. Yeah, you can actually get a, a, a beverage with ice in it. Uh, but like otherwise, you're still the same pedophile rapist that you were in Europe. You know what I mean? Like nothing is everywhere. No, nothing about. Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah, and then, like, isn't there about like in, in part one, uh, like towards the end of part one, where he basically tells her like 
oh, and if you ever run away from me or tell the police, they'll just put you in a foster home, right? So like that his, like whatever the fuck it is that this means for him could never mean that for her until she runs away. But then where does she run away to? Another fucking pedophile. Right. And that like we do actually sort of then then we get like this this poor child is just, you know, she had nowhere else to go. And it turns out that that's kind of true. Mm-hmm. Like she had nowhere else to go but to another disgusting pedophile. Yeah. That is the one thing he says basically to her that's not a lie. Yeah. Or right. or a, a I don't know, I mean redirect or something, but it's like lies or it seems like ridiculous to say the word manipulation in the context of this book because it's all one to us, to the reader, to the her every like that's the whole thing. It's the whole it's every word in this book. So speaking of low, I we've all suggested that like she emerges differently yes in the second half yeah Mm -hmm. and does that like i don't know man does that like fuck us up like with there's the thing tristan correct me if i'm wrong because you're saying like you know you know the beats of this novel and some about it before you read it but like did you think that it was anything but like his narrow point of view the the, did you feel like there were going to be moments where she sort of like slipped through despite his seeming total command Yes, because like I certainly didn't think that this novel was like an endorsement of like Humbert, like you know I right, which I which I do think that that's something that some people think, and like frankly, the way dumbass Vladimir Nabokov because he refused to ever say that like oh like what this could mean like I mean he just says dumbass shit like oh like I'm like Humbert has nothing in common with me because he doesn't know what butterfly species is it's just like all right dude like which I think is him taking a piss on like the fucking like you know the the, the sort of like like american like petty bourgeois reader but it's also like fuck dude fuck off that is extremely gross well, but that's no not i mean quite i true did- though like he said in an interview that one of the things he regretted most about this book is that the word lolita had become sexualized yeah no 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 yeah i know i mean i know because I know. he's like she is a child Yes. And, and, and I know he said, and I know other interviews, he was very explicit about that. I just mean that he like, because he, he just, it's so fucking equivocal that I feel like he said some other things that sort of like, oh, invited for sure. yeah. you know, but like, no, I mean, I certainly didn't think that that was the case, but I will say like, I think I expected her to slip through and to emerge as this other character that's not contained by Humbert's narrative more than it did in the first half. Like that was one thing that kind of tripped me up in the first half was that I did feel like we were kind of totally immersed and not, you know, kind of like kicking and screaming, like fuck this guy. But like we, we couldn't get out of Humbert psychology. Whereas in the second half, yeah, there were a lot more. Okay. Like he doesn't, he does not have command of this narrative and like, I, okay, we can start to piece together a little bit more. Like what is Lolita doing? Like how, like, you know, and, and yeah, that, that she does have this like imagined by the novel sort of, inner life that is very separate from whatever it is that he's trying to narrate i definitely saw that actually a lot in the second half um so that's kind of interesting how the two halves work together that way or sort of in some ways in opposing directions maybe i mean it's in a sense it's like odd to have talked about them on two episodes isn't it because it's a little bit like uh (laughs) breaking it up into that particular set of halves is like now we can only sort of like retroactively reflect on like what that first half is demanding the second half demands that we now think differently about the first half right like all of it is just saying like you didn't you didn't do this right when you were reading it yeah yeah well i think also if the novel hadn't allowed that slippage to happen 
those glimpses, nobody read it. No one be, would be reading this thing. Right. No one is going to read Journal of a Pedophile in perfect command of being a pedophile. Like, I mean, other psychotic thoughts of a, a horrible people, right? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I was thinking like, I bet some people would, but I don't think like <laughs> decent people would. Yeah, yeah. It wouldn't be a... You'd have to go to places on the internet that I don't know yeah. where to Right, find. I don't know how to get there, but I know they exist. Yes, exactly, exactly. But also, it's like, okay, so what's going on in part one and part two, the break between the two parts is partially because there has to be a break when she starts to grow up. Right. There has right. to be a fracture and a split, and it has to be, like, in the... The strongest break you can make is to make a book in a book. Like, unless you're going to do a sequel, that's the most break you can have. Yeah. yeah and, and, and also that when like she, that when she basically comes under his sort of like full sort of control, that, that like, no, now he is her like guardian. Whereas in the first half that, that wasn't, you know, he was like, the, he was like this like tenant of her mom's and then, you know, that, and like her main sort of point of confrontation for much of the first half, it seems to be with her mom or like, that's what she perceives it to be with her mom. And, but then like when her mom is, Go, you know gone it's yeah it, it just has to kind of change all well, and it that. is that first half like almost exclusively in the realm of his fantasy right so it's like he can do whatever the fuck he wants inside of his own mind or like recalling right. annabelle or however you want to think about that which is like of course we're trapped in that narrative because it's like only what he's imagining and then once he starts he she is his ward or whatever however you want to put that she becomes a person in the narrative because this is a well-written novel and like without that it just gets more and more disgusting and it is disgusting but un it would be unreadable yeah for yeah. sure for sure and yeah Kate, I know, like again i i think we could talk that chapter 29 of the second part which yeah that just like again i mean just to me so fucking like tragic re-encounter between humbert and dolores um katie i know you and there's there's a lot of stuff there i mean we already mentioned what like he when he like ventriloquizes her saying that he was a good father which is just so fucking upsetting and then like yeah i mean she's getting the money you know she's getting she's basically you know getting what that she and her husband need from him but like she's still indulging him like and, and kind of like you know basically telling him to fuck off but in the sort of like gentlest of ways but there is that one moment at the end that where you barked katie where it, it's like it's weird yeah it's it's uh did you want to read that where it's like where he's like oh like were you expecting me to pull out the revolver or whatever so yeah they're uh they're talking in the kitchen about about whether or what money he's going to give Lolita and and he narrates to, he's trying to beg her to come with him like he's doing that delusional thing and he's giving his last ditch effort at trapping her again and he says one last word i said in my horrible careful english are you quite quite sure that well not tomorrow of course not and not after tomorrow but well, someday, any day, you will not come to live with me. I will create a brand new God and thank him with piercing cries if you give me that microscopic hope. No, she said, smiling. No. It would have made all the difference, said Humbert Humbert. Then I pulled out my automatic. I mean, this is the kind of thing a fool reader might suppose I did. It never even occurred to me to do it what the fuck like, what is that moment you know like well if you if you read it and you don't know what's gonna happen 
There's a second where you get the tiniest approximation of what it feels like to be fucked with by him. Yeah. And yeah. so and you you need it to be like that like you it needs to be that you think that Lolita could get that he might kill her even though he's just said I could never do that. Mm-hmm. It has to be that way and it's a moment of like what all of the references and the uh, the unintelligibility and the making it hard to read but also also sort of not it's just like that's the slap at the end you know like that's yeah. the that's what all the shit's leading to is that he's been being coy and giving himself away but what he really wants to do is just make you think that he's going to hurt you yeah like a, as reader attached to character i'm like i want to be careful to make that distinction about what i'm saying because it's not it's not real right right that's like also a real struggle of t- just as a side note like talking about this book is that the like yes to not to be very clear about like these are not people it's actually hard to talk about it in a way it that is. says like oh but she really does say this and it's like she no she's not a person yeah, well, no, I mean, I think that like, no, that that's really, that, I think that's a really um, great reading of that. I think another thing, though, then that that does is sort of underscore her own sort of like bravery in this scene that like, yeah, I mean, he, I mean, he's, you know, he's, ba- he's, she, even though she's asked him for help, he has shown up, like she didn't get, tell him specifically where they live because she did not want him to show up. He did. I mean, he seems real fucking unhinged. We know he's, she knows very obviously well that he's a fucking rate like serial rapist and yet she's still like fuck off leave i mean and she says it like nicely or whatever but like you know but so that that threat and it's like yeah and we as readers you're right if we don't if we aren't remembering that we know this is not how she dies or we didn't read that introduction or whatever we still kind of see the flash of that and like she's still like yeah i'm not it doesn't matter i'm not getting pulled back into this I'm not even going to let you think I could get pulled back into this, right? It's her moment of triumph, and it's very sad that that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, definitely. To just say no. And also, like, you, so you know that she doesn't die in that way, but it's not inconceivable that he would shoot her. Oh, right. totally. Right. Well, and I think that this is a point at which, like, all of that first half sort of, like, apostrophe about, like, frigid gentlewomen of the jury, where we're sort of, like, a very different kind of, like, not abstracted, but, like, particularized reader. Because now we've been folded into her almost exclusively. We are incapable of sitting at any remove, right? Like, we're only in her, like, as readers, all apostrophe is directed toward Lolita. And that's, like crushing yeah you can't read this book and not feel like completely devastated at the end yeah that there would be readers who are like no she seduced him was like just absolutely disgusting i know and like yeah and it's also because like humbert here and really throughout the book is like huge fucking self-pity party and like it's interesting because like you as a reader are feeling the pathos he is like doing this other pathos and you're like i don't give a shit fuck off die please die (laughs) right (laughs) like you know so it's like so that's kind of it that sort of layering like his own like he wants to keep doing the self-pity thing but you're like yeah no i'm not we're we're with dolores very much you know like so yeah when he gets Um, more and more like not just i mean he's always been irritating but at this point he becomes like a complete fatuous joke right like 
just saying the dumbest possible shit without any he's so unhinged yeah right and that's like part of the point of that amazing last scene where he's like where it's you know keystone cops tripping over each other like shooting somebody in the fucking back there's like a line that i think is like so annoying it's a little earlier like he, he has this tiny little like flashback on page 32 sorry chapter 32 so he's already gone to see her and um he's very sad about everything that's transpired and um so he's doing like there was a day during our first trip and like oh you know when i was her like boyfriend and it was like so lovely and i couldn't help perceiving the fact that i was i was her not a boyfriend not a glamour man not a pal not even a person at all but just two eyes and a foot of engorged brawn and i quit (laughs) (laughs) yeah oh god yeah i quit yeah super gross so gross he's grosser and grosser in this last few pages it's like so fucking gross what you're right and like that yes and 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 that again like i mean something we talked about a lot last time was the proximity like like god this does feel like a fucking 1870 this is alexander pope shit like the pathos and bathos like right next to each other no i mean like the and the con like i mean even in its uh we're not in the middle of its most tragic moments but very proximate to them we're back into like this fucking slapstick kind of comedy and like yeah so quilty is doppelganger and right he's like he's like the humber but he's like he's like a balding and like fat in a way like humber just like thinks that he's sexy yeah. or whatever and, and he's like imp- like his the, the fact that like quilty is like impotent like is is made a big deal of but at the end of the day, this fucking pedophile dipshit is like incapable of shooting this other pedophile dipshit and having this like naked fight all around. It's just like, yeah, I mean, they're both doppelgangers. Like, yes, they are the same fucking person, <laughs> you know. And he's like, put down your gun. You're a moron. And it's like, well, yeah. <laughs> and he's not wrong. No. He's not wrong that he's a fucking moron. Yeah. But it, it's also not inconceivable that someone would come upon Humbert nude in a silk robe and shoot him in the same, you know, <laughs> yes, like any yes, of these fucking yes. assholes. Like, yeah, because he has the same robe. He says like, oh, I have that same purple robe. And there's like <laughs> a scene earlier. I think it's Mona who's like, I never saw anybody wearing a smoking jacket outside of the movies. And it's so like, yes. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> like, oh, so, so European. Yeah. <laughs> but it like it isn't just that he has the robe it's that like it would be that he would get shot in it in that you know like that would be the thing that would happen (laughs) like a big sweaty hairy monster and that he's got to be shot it's actually quite satisfying in a way like to at least he's well you get the catharsis of the laugh but also like you can yeah the yeah i don't know no it it, it just that's fun that chill chapter where that happens just becomes i mean yeah it is like slap like really revolting kind of slapstick throughout but like maybe like the most amazing part is when he comes downstairs and like uh, when humbert after having finally shot quilty and like up and down the stairs like a french farce and these other (laughs) yes chasing him up and down stairs like a french farce yeah and like he comes downstairs and suddenly like all of quilty's like fucking other like vile bourgeois pedophile friends have gathered and humbert's like i have shot claire quilty and they're all like ha 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 oh capital on sports like no one gives it it's like unclear whether they don't take him seriously or they're like okay no, well, like, that, sounds, the other? that sounds like a plausible thing that just happened whatever you know and he's like i gotta go and drive my car like yakety sacks all yeah. the way down the fucking yeah. hill like without my brakes yeah. on like doo, doo, doo. 
Yeah. Oh, man. Christ. What a joke. But amazing. You're right. Like, the catharsis. The ending is really good. Like, even though she, you know, this poor girl, like, but also how could it have ended differently with her? I don't think it could have. And and actually have been sort of like, I don't know, like, make us reminded how grim her life has been but also yeah. like that the catharsis of the laugh i think is really important yeah. even though you know when like the re- the times reviewer was like uh this book is good but also extremely funny i'm like oh shut the fuck up bitch like we know that you're too good to be horrified by something because it makes the yeah. rest of us feel squares by for moralizing yeah. you might not get it you might not get it but i get it i get that's it that's the whole thing I about this book it. is the like that everybody who reviewed it is like it's a very good book so i'm not not saying that but it's just like that it's the it's the like territory of the like beaujolais loving overfed fucking bourgeois well-read person who gets to congratulate themselves for their rambeau knowledge yeah that's a less detestable type of pervert but still a detestable (laughs) person right exactly it's not like a it's not a get a bear trap pervert but it's a like a get a you know, mousetrap pervert. It's the same <laughs> unfortunate phenomenon of like Ulysses, right? Which I, I like having read it. I think it's a great book. I, yeah, I, you know, and I, was I don't not think that expecting... book actually like encourages that. Kind of, like those people right. arrive on it, but the book isn't for them. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, t- no. Yes, exactly. Well, that's weird, right? Because no, like Ulysses, my biggest hesitation for so long was like the graduate school dickhead, the like the Mayor Pete fucking yeah. ass. Like it is. Ulysses is my favorite novel, but I, but you're right. I don't think it does encourage that in a way that like Nabokov absolutely fucking gets off on that shit, you know, like, so it's, well, and that's why I yeah. asked you to read it. Cause I was like, I felt the same way. I was totally blocked by this bunch of dickheads yeah. who were like, have you read, have you read? And then I read it and I was like, nobody told me this was like, not only incredibly funny, but like a good 18% dick jokes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. like yeah. Ulysses is very yeah. funny and not in a way that's like, "Did you get my Flaubert's?" <laughs> but like, yeah. poop jokes. Yeah, no, totally. And Molly Bloom is a wonderful character. Amazing. Um, and- yeah, no, I just I, I think like having read now speak memory and Lolita, I'm of the opinion that I like Nabokov's books and I detest Vladimir Nabokov. Yep. <laughs> like- totally fine. <laughs> I mean, I've read a startling number because I have. No, I, I think the thing is that it's tough because it's a book for perverts major and minor, <laughs> and it's too much perverts in one thing. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. For it's sure. It's like not the fun. It's like the opposite. It's like not the fun pervert. Yeah, like Joyce is for, for, for minor perverts who deserve to have a good time. Yeah, 100% <laughs> yeah. for minor perverts. It's not also like... I don't think Lolita is vaguely fash. I don't think it's fash, but like D.H. Lawrence is fash. Right. Oh my God. But like right. Dicks yeah. Out for Fash is another yeah. genre of literary pervert. Yeah. Dicks Out in a Hut for Fash. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is one of the many positions that the podcast does not endorse, which is Dicks Out for Fash. Dicks not at all. No. In your pants for fash. Yeah. Keep them there. Yeah. Dicks in your pants for no no fash, please. 
don't yeah just don't even get your dick mixed up in that yeah <laughs> can i just say one last quick thing which is that we talked about that nabokov insisted that lolita is a mispronunciation it should be pronounced lolita um and i just want to say you know doing the bullshit thing right now that every time you pronounce it lolita that is a victory for the working class and you are basically doing the same thing as storming the winter palace so yeah, thank yes. you for that. Anytime your soft hands read a book and you pronounce the name of the main character the wrong way, you are acting for the people. You're doing your own revolution. <laughs> exactly. Very meaningful act of, re- of, of rebellion, yes. Yes, yes. You can't say Raskolnikov. You might be a Russian novelist. <laughs> Anyway, are we playing a game? At least we are funny now, even though the book, well, actually the book is funny, but like for gross people. For gross people. And speaking of gross people, for today's game, I dug out an old party game that's deeply offensive, it turns out. But some of the questions are readable on the air, so we're going to do that. I thought we were just criticizing Alfred Appel for being like, oh, it's unprintable. Are there things we won't say? Yeah, there are. Like, imagine it's 1987 and Edgelord is making a party game. Oh, so it's just like homophobic. End. Yes, end. Okay, got it. Cards against humanity style bullshit. (laughs) That game is fun if you're playing with the right people and you don't want to know whomst among your friends is homophobic. Or, yeah, (laughs) or a racist or anything. I, I just picked one. Yeah. No, this this is a little racist too. But anyway, I've modified the questions. Oh god, I can't even I can't even get into it. Um, but I was very surprised to to know what I had in my possession. What's it called? I, Can like I know it, this? I feel like it's called Bad People. Oh. So yeah, I like cards against humanity. Yeah, I thought I thought this will be perfect. And then I thought, oh no. <laughs> um but anyway, we're gonna answer some of these questions here today in this in this dreadful deck of cards. But what we're going to do is answer them as some of our favorite literary characters from episodes past. So let's let's get cracking. So I'm going to let you so we've we've done a little we do we plan we plan these episodes folks. Um and <laughs> this is not leftist shooting the shit. That's a different podcast. That's 40 <laughs> different podcasts. Yeah, that's other ones. Um, But this one is the dork one, and we prepared. So anyway, before knowing the question, I'll ask you to select, choose your fighter. Okay. So just pick your... We can pick anybody at random? You can pick anybody. Yeah, you can pick anybody at random. Okay. You can pick anybody at random. Do it. And you know what? Let's get get nutty with it. Get nutty with it. Okay, I'm playing as Van Helsing. I'm just saying. All right. I love it. I am going to play as Frank Frank Osbaldistone, <laughs> partially to encourage people to go listen to the Rob Roy episode, which rocks. So it is among our very very finest episodes, in yeah. my opinion. Frank Toblerone, his balls are stones. Francis Toblerone. I wrote him a poem. Okay, so you are Van Helsing, and you are Frank Airport Candy. Um, okay. Which one of you is more likely to shove a roll of quarters up your ass on a dare? There's no right or wrong answers here. 
There's only wrong answers. I actually think Franco's Baldestone because he's so flaccid that anybody he, dares well, him to do anything. Although, man, Van Helsing, it's the opposite of flaccid, right? So he's like, yeah, I'll shove something on my butt. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think I see, here's the thing. I yeah, I, I honestly I think this might be a wash because all you would have to do with Frank is uh, give him like half a bottle of claret and, you know, start shouting about how, you know, he's has no courage because he's not a papist or something like that. Not no game. And he, would like, <laughs> and he would be like, I shall demonstrate this by shoving the roller cord in my ass. Whereas I feel like Van Helsing would be like, be like, oh no, like this like science has proven that this wards off vampires. <laughs> you know, like it's uh, also that he's like, you know, he's got guts of steel, so he's like, I'll just it'll just join the other four rolls of quarters that are up there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Speak, yeah, this reminds me of the uh, Upright Citizens Brigade sketch Ass Pennies. Do you guys know that? <laughs> I don't think so. I will send it to you after the show. <laughs> like, it is an amazing sketch. <laughs> Ass Pennies, I like it. <laughs> ben Matt Besser is a funny man. So wait, is um, it both? Like, can we not have it be both? Because I really think that the, we've formed, well, well-described arguments here. Yeah, I'm letting everybody have this today. This okay. is just this is a game. This is one like one of those cooperative ones that no everyone hates. You know, like when you gotta solve a problem together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Non-competitive games for hippie children. Ex- yes. Uh, the what we're doing it Montessori style today, folks. <laughs> okay, who would you like to be? Who would you like to be in this round, folks? Anybody want to be Molly Bloom? Anybody want to be a way yeah, big, big yeah. whale? I'll, I'll be Molly Bloom. Okay. Um, I am going to be... I can't be anybody from Native Sun. That's just far too grim. Yeah. Can I? No, that wouldn't work. Oh, I mean, who's the who's the other captain? I'm not Benito Serino. But the dumb uh, shit who goes on board. Yes, uh, Amasa Delano. Uh, Amasa D- Delano. Delano. That's Amasa me. Delano. That's you. Okay. So you are a captain who understands nothing. That's right. And you, and Tristan, you are a, a woman who understands everything. You are a wife who mm-hmm. understands everything. Yes. Okay. Yes. And I'm also banging Blaze's boiling. <laughs> you sure are. You sure are. Great, um, great set of knockers. <laughs> yeah fantastic boy howdy those bazambas will get everyone honking <laughs> on whatever uh which one of you is more likely to shart that's where <laughs> i didn't make that well delano well as i as as i am a creation of james joyce who was very into that <laughs> Yes. And she's like a really appealing character and like farts to James <laughs> Joyce are like the hallmark of a of a lovely human. I feel like yeah, so I feel like Molly Blue it's like well so is this a shard or not? Like sort of on command to you know keep the scene going whereas Amasa Delano is a shard. <laughs> You know, like yeah, for sure. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. He was in the he was in the middle of something unrelated <laughs> when he sharted. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. But Molly, uh, it's like a fun shart because somebody was like, "Could you do this for me for sex reasons?" And she was like, "Absolutely." 
Yeah, <laughs> so his I was get... an inconvenience and embarrassment. Hers was a triumph. Yep. So I think I think it is Delato because he that is just his like sort of ontological state. Whereas with Molly, it would be very context dependent. Yeah, you know? it wouldn't be embarrassing. So yeah, so so yeah, you you'd you'd know. Okay. Um, <laughs> and uh, for this one, I am going to I'm gonna I'm gonna get in the mix here. Okay. Okay. I'm gonna get in the mix here. It's uh, I'm gonna get in the mix by um. By being the um, the guy in hell from Sinners in the Hands of an Angry Dope. God. The okay. hell guy. Okay. I will. Be, well, all right. Uh, fine. If, if we're going that. The, the... Are you going to be screw tape? <laughs> no, I'm not going to take screw tape. Although that's a good idea. No, I'm going to do a, a that different that was, kind. If you were like these, and this is the thing that we're doing. Yeah, no, no, no. That that's a good. No, it actually didn't occur to me. I, I actually, now I'm like, oh, maybe I should have said that. No, I'm going to do it. Do it different, diabolical direction. And but but you know, ships. I'm going to be Captain Ahab. Love it. I'm going to be a lady on a boat as in Laurel I Lee, but like the funnest lady on the <laughs> yeah. funnest boat. I love it. I'm on the slow train to hell. You are uh, the funnest lady on the funnest boat, and Tristan. How do we relate this to boats? Ahab, Ahab, yeah. He... They're on a boat. They're on a boat. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. They're on a boat. Yes, yeah. I got it now. I got it. Yeah, um, I climb buoys. Do you want me to explain it again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can we go over this again? Harpooners. Uh, harpooners, indeed. All right, we get stranded on an island. Okay. Who gets eaten first? Guy in hell. Mm, yeah. Yeah, the guy in hell would. T- yeah, the guy in hell is is totally the first to get eaten. I was gonna say, I mean, yeah, like Ahab, he I didn't, he, he does in get- fact get eaten in that book, though. Yes, exactly. And how do you think I got to hell, bitch? <laughs> but I ate people. <laughs> Ahab gets eaten by the way, but that's the thing. It's like, what is Ahab doing? On Ahab would not have gotten washed up on the island. He would have started swimming after the fucking whale to try to get eaten while still at sea. You know? so, like, <laughs> <laughs> he did literally get eaten. He did. I mean, Laurel Eiley is clearly the king of this island, and there's like no arguing over that. But like, yeah, she was like, "Hey, sailor, you want to get me off this island? Cool." <laughs> yeah, exactly. oh yeah she would definitely be the one eating whoever it was mm-hmm. yeah we should well no right actually that's pretty she probably tell ahab and and the the guy in hell to go swim out after the whale to go get dinner and that's how they get eaten right <laughs> you know like, <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah like congratulations lady congratulations and congratulations to us uh i was unable to add any of the other from this very <laughs> large stack of cards that i have before me if you see how large it is I mean, it's quite large. It's large, folks. It's large. Wow. I mean, that's look, a lot I couldn't of disgusting find a single, questions. Yeah, I couldn't find a single other suitable question. Most likely to gain weight after marriage. No. <laughs> um, whose face looks most like an animal's? Boring. Uh, most likely to join ISIS. Lovely. <laughs> Do people not know uh, yeah. that we have terrorism in the United? Anyway. Yeah. And those aren't even the bad ones. Those are the ones I feel comfortable saying. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> That's nauseating. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> okay. This has been Better Than Dead. You can find me on Twitter at Teslasaurus, Tristan at TJ Schweiger, Katie at Katie Crywell. You can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at Better Red Pod and email us at 
betterredpodcast at gmail.com. But only if you think some other dude is going to be the person eating people on the desert island, because I take no <laughs> substitutes. But go ahead and email us if you think anyone else <laughs> would do that. Because <laughs> there are a few as badass as Laura Lily. Um our intro music is Left Bronstein by the Redskins and used with their permission. Our logo was created by Jane Bonsack of JB Design and Content. Rate and review and subscribe. And next week, we have Henry McKenzie's The Man of Feeling, which is apparently about feelings. I haven't read it yet. Oh, yeah. And then we're reading Dune, motherfuckers. So strap in. Yeah. <laughs> we're doing it. Get ready, everyone, because I'm going to Dune the shit out of all of you. <laughs> Thanks, comrades. Tune in.